content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior matters. It does matter. And so does Gary Moore, who is the president and CEO of the Nonparal Institute in Texas. And um, Gary, we can't wait for you to tell us all about that. So welcome, Gary. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. We appreciate you. So Gary, you and I uh, met by phone a few years ago when I had gotten a certification in organization behavior management, which for our listeners is really kind of ABA for adults, really. It's, you know, how to improve teams and getting along and doing preference assessments and all of that. And I was super interested in post-secondary outcomes. And so I had reached out to you to kind of learn more about your um, organization and what you do. And it's an amazing organization. And we have an office here in Houston, Texas, and you're out of the Plano area, yes? That's correct, in the Dallas area. Yeah, do you want to kind of tell us about Nonparal and how it started and all that fun stuff? Sure, sure, and thank you ladies for what you're doing. Very impressed and uh, very grateful for this opportunity to share. Uh, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but I'm most passionate about Nonparal, and uh, so very grateful and thankful you're giving me the opportunity to to talk about my passion. Uh, we also have, we have three offices actually in Texas, uh, Dallas, Plano area, Houston and Austin, but we also opened a training center in Orlando. Uh, hmm. So we're in four cities. Uh, and then we also have Nonpril online. We have students in about 30 states around the country that are taking training with Nonpril virtually online. So anyway, we've kind of really expanded, I think, Susan, since we first talked. And uh, I said we would never be virtual uh, years ago when people were asking, can you open, can, can we take the training virtually? We're in California, New York, where I said, no, I'm sorry, we only do it in person. It's, that's the real secret to our sauce is doing it in person. So we will never open virtually. Well, guess what COVID taught me and never say never. <laughs> so one good thing that came out of COVID is we, we did launch a couple of years ago our MP online program and we're really excited about that. We have about 40 students now in about 35 cities, uh, 30 states taking training online. So anyway, and you'll have Gary, to- I apologize. I was pronouncing it wrong. Listeners, it's non-parel and it is uh, N-O-N-P-A-R-E-I-L Institute. So- Sorry about that, Gary. Go ahead. No, no, that's fine. It's it's sometimes hard to say. The French pronounce it much better than I do, <laughs> non pareil, but uh, sometimes saying it and spelling it's a challenge. And the reason we chose that name, uh, and then I'll, I'll jump into why you know what we're about, is uh, it stands for no equal or no parallel. Uh-huh. And that's how we want, that's how we think of our students, uh, who we call crew, but they're students. But uh they are exceptional young men and women, and so we wanted the name that they would feel proud to be a part of. So uh, that's how we came up with the name, and uh, it really we started. Uh, Dan Selleck and I uh, started Nonpareil back in 2008 out of our respective kitchens, uh, and it was just uh, Dan had the dream and the vision initially, and was looking for someone to partner with. Uh, he's the tech guy, the smart guy. I was the other guy. <laughs> so, uh, but we both have sons on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. 
and we were concerned. Uh, his son was about 10, mine was 12. But we were concerned, what happens when they grow up? When they graduate high school, what does that look like? And back then it looked like a pretty big drop off a cliff, if you will, that our sons would be facing uh, once they graduated. So that was kind of the impetus to start Nonpareil, to provide post-secondary training for those young men and women that needed uh, alternative to traditional post-secondary education. And that, that's why we started Nonpareil. Our sons weren't even going to be a part of it for a while, but we wanted to plan ahead. So I am not a parent, and I'm certainly not a parent with a child with autism. And I love that you and he were thinking forwardly and really thinking about the future, not only of your children, but of yourself. And really, you know, when you look at the big picture, you're looking at the future of a, a, a large number of individuals. You said you had... 40 participants online, and I know you have multiple, multiple students or crew members in your different offices. Um, that's so cool. And so how did it come to fruition? So good question, Susan. So we we made the decision that we would start uh, and found ourselves as a nonprofit, so uh, as opposed to a for-profit where we felt there would be more pressure to try to generate revenue, et cetera. Uh, so we started as a nonprofit, which meant we needed to go fundraise. So I have a background in technology. I was a programmer and an IT guy, IT staffing, had never done fundraising, didn't know the first thing about a nonprofit. I came down that learning curve, was forced to pretty quickly, but we uh, early on started fundraising and looking for people who would share the vision and, and you know, share in the mission of building better futures for adults with autism. So that was kind of my role. Dan's role, he was, the, again, the, the smart guy, the, the technical wizard, and uh, he was building the curriculum and the training, the if you will, the programming that we would be delivering to our students uh, once they joined Nonpareil. So we, he was one side of the coin, I was the other side of the coin, and we just partnered together. And uh, one of the first things we needed to, Dan was training young men, a few young men and women out of his kitchen. So we say training and started in Dan's kitchen. That's a true story. His wife was gracious enough to give up the kitchen one night a week, then two nights a week. But we started with a few students just more as a proof of concept because no one that we, back in 2008, 09, there was nobody in the country doing this. I mean, I looked, I was pretty well networked and I couldn't find anybody doing this. So we were just going to kind of bootstrap this and, you know, no roadmap, no blueprint, but let's see what happens. Let's train a few in your kitchen and I'll be out fundraising. And and then I met uh, Dr. Peter Rod. He's the head of the Guild Hall at SMU Southern Methodist University here in the Dallas area. Uh, that's a master's program in video game development. He was so impressed with our vision and mission he invited us to be on the SMU campus. Uh, I didn't even know you could do that, but he said, I'll give you a room. I've got to see this. This is too unbelievable that you're going to teach young men and women with autism this technology. So we started in 2010 on SMU's campus, their satellite campus in Plano. 
with eight students. And then in a few years, we were at 155 students. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. Or is that where you're, I'm looking at the lovely uh, view behind you. Is that your SMU campus or is that a different location? No, uh, it's not. We, uh, SMU, uh, after we were there 10 years, they'd been there about 20 years, but they made the decision to sell the campus. And there were a bunch of graduate programs out there. Yeah. So they just they built some new buildings down at the main campus in Dallas. So they moved the programs back to the main campus. So they sold the campus. So we had to move a couple of years ago. I know we were we were real sad about that. That was our home, and they were very helpful in helping us grow our program. Uh, and so we really owe a lot to SMU and the Guild Hall and Dr. Rod and others. Uh, we hired a number of their graduate students to help be a part of non-prels instructors but they did sell the campus we had to move so we're just a few miles away still in plano we love our new location but it is a it's just a standard you know one-story office building so you went from how many to how many in a short time <laughs> we started with well with one kyle mcneese he was our first crew member we call him the man the myth the legend He's still here as a full-time instructor now. He's uh, on the spectrum, but he was our first student. And then Dan ended up having eight students come into his house every week for about a year till we got the money raised and we got the space at SMU. And then we were able to open with those eight. But in a couple of years, we were at 150, 155 students. Tell us and our listeners, what exactly your crew members create? Gotcha. Good question. So the vision initially was because many young people on the spectrum, young adults, many of them have a very strong affinity, proclivity for technology. You know, video games, animation, Disney movies, uh, computers, technology. They just love uh, technology. And so Dan and I both come from the technical world and our sons loved video games and computers and so forth. So our program was really launched on the basis of teaching them technology. Okay. Uh, so we built a bunch of technology classes. We figured that would be a, of interest to them to even want to come to Nonpareil. Yeah. Uh, so we started out very lean and mean with a few technical classes. And so with that training, they were able to actually build some little video games, some apps, uh, that are on the iPhone and the Android and in, on PCs. Uh, so we proved that we they could build stuff, pretty cool stuff. And so we you can find us in the iTunes, the App Store, and on Google Play. But over time, we realized, and this is really where you come in a lot, is that that's part of the solution to helping them find a, a, you know employment or whatever their goal is is the technical training. The part that was really missing for those first number of years was the soft skills, mm -hmm. you know, independence, advocacy, communications, working with others, all those other things that really uh, impact them in a way that makes is a barrier to employment or whatever they're doing. Right, right, right. I mean, we talk about just the getting getting in the door and then into the interview. So, see, you, were, you probably could talk to that. As well, yeah. No, it just is frustrating to me because I, you know, I do have some friends who have kids on the spectrum who want to have their young, you know, their 15, 16 year old get a job like any other fifteen or sixteen year old, and they can do the work, 
But the interview process is so difficult that they don't, you know, I, I have one mom who's like, here, he's going for his fifth interview. Y'all say a little prayer that maybe, you know, okay. can, can come across with, with his strengths. So. No, that's so true. We, if you look at the statistics and there's a number of people that produce or publish statistics, it's somewhere between 80 and 90 percent of adults on the spectrum are either unemployed or underemployed. Correct. And so when you just start there and you go, there's a real problem, there's a real gap between uh, this thing called autism and meaningful employment or any employment. So it, it is a real challenge uh, for our young men and women, although they have ability and talent, potential and desire, their autism and some of the deficits that come along with that uh, make it very hard for them to compete in the normal workplace get the interview, pass the interview, get the job, or more importantly, keep the job. Right. And uh, so there's just a lot of things that they need help with in order to get the job and maintain the job. And so over the years, we realized we needed to really flesh out our program and add a lot more work readiness training and soft skills training. And so we've got a much more robust program now that includes a lot of technical classes, we've really expanded that in a lot of soft skills classes. And then the third piece, and really in a way just as meaningful, is we really are big on social engagement. Because what we have learned, and you ladies know, and your audience probably knows, they you grow and learn a lot when you're in a social setting that's not really a classroom setting. Right. So we provide a lot of opportunity for them to engage socially. We have a lot of clubs, you know, a book club, a chess club, a movie club, a Mario, Smash Brothers club, gaming clubs. We have all these clubs they can join. We have social engagement activities in-house, out in the community. So we really just try to have a well-rounded program that gives them opportunity to engage in so many ways to learn and grow so that they can get to a point where they can move on to the next thing that's, that's their goal. For some, it's to go to college. For many, it's to obviously find employment. It's a small percentage of people on the spectrum who are not going to have some skill that they would be able to use in the community. There are some children or, or adults who aren't really going to be truly employable, but that's a small percentage. And when you think that our new, newest number is one in 36 of those yeah. eight-year-olds being on the spectrum, I don't know if people realize the house is on fire. Right, right. <laughs> the house is on fire if we don't figure out a way to help them get the skills they need to show people what they can do and be a contributing member. Everybody wants to be a contributing member in society. And um, we, we got to figure that out. <laughs> and, you know, go along with that, you know, almost 70% of people who have an autism are not intellectually disabled. So. Right. The house is on fire because if we have that many people who have amazing skills and abilities and gifts and so much to give who are obviously, I mean, if they, you know, they don't have intellectual disabilities. And so the house is, yeah, the community is on fire. And Gary, you know, you talked about going from 155 crew members back in the day. I'm curious how many do you have now around the state and in Florida? Yes, in Florida. Yeah, we have a, a just a little over 300 students or crew members attending non-parole now. So 
And nonpareil is a preparatory, I guess that's not the right word, but you are preparing people to be employed, but they're essentially employed while they're working there, yes or no? Well, yeah, that's a good question, and that sometimes is a little confusing, and we probably could do a little better job on our website maybe, but uh, they all come here as students. Yes. Uh, we're not technically a school, so let me get that on the sure. table. Sure. We're not a school. We're, we're, we do different type of training and education. It's really more mastery of content than it is take a test, get graded, and then you move on. So we're not like a school, but we're we're post-secondary vocational training. Yes. Uh, but we do teach very you know sophisticated, hard software technology stuff. I mean this is bleeding edge stuff. If you ever tour a non-pro facility, you walk through here and go, oh my goodness, it, I feel like I'm on a college campus or in a software company. So, but we just teach very differently because yeah. traditional education for many of them just doesn't work. But so they come as students and parent, you know, they pay tuition. We do charge tuition okay. uh, for them to attend non parel And the goal is, uh, let me just get this on the table now that we have, we realize a lot of companies are still reluctant to hire adults on the spectrum. Even though we've done a phenomenal job training them, they we can show the employer their work. They they're better at interviewing, and they you know we've helped them a lot. At the end of the day, I still cannot force an employer to hire them. I just can't. And so we we do the best we can. They do the best they can interviewing, and many do get employed in some capacity, maybe part time. Some of them, their goal is to go to college after they've been here a year or two or three. They want to get better prepared to attend college. So that's a goal for some. But for those that really can do work, but just aren't really ready for the competitive marketplace, we launched a thing a few years ago, an initiative called Power Sourcing, Putting Autism to Work. Companies have come to us and said, we don't know how to hire adults or we're not prepared or ready, but what if we gave you a project to give to them and we pay you non and you can pay them. That's so it, we're outsourcing services now from companies to non so the students are here, and many of them have gone through the program or they're at the end of the program and they're ready to work. Yeah. And we can put them on projects that they get paid for, and they can learn to hone those work skills in a, I guess, a safe environment, if you will. Familiar, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to accommodate them. We're not going to fire them if they make a mistake or don't show up one time or walk out in the middle of a meeting. You know, we're, we're just going to accommodate their, you know, them. And this gives them time to grow and, and, and build those work muscles and learn to really work with others and meet deadlines and all while getting paid. And so that's a real big thing that we're pushing now is power sourcing. And, and then ultimately with the goal... Many of them, after a year or two or three of that, are then better able to go out and work in the competitive marketplace. So you talked about um, your apps a minute ago, and you said we could find them on the app stores. What would we look for? Just look for the NP logo. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the lower lowercase and uppercase yes. P. Yes. And and let me just say we love Apple, we love Google, Android, but part of the interesting thing of working with them if you don't keep your app or game updated every year you have to keep up with the 
operating systems that they keep upgrading the phones with. If you don't keep upgrading that, then they drop your app out of the store. Oh. Yeah, I know. And we, we're on the newer, bigger, better things. We can't keep going back updating a game or app yeah. we built seven years ago. So there aren't, you know, we've built maybe like 24 of these, I believe. Wow. wow. Um, over the years and uh so i don't know how many are in the store we'll today but you can find some we'll uh, one, one other thing you i'm sure you've all you and your audience have eaten in restaurants have you ever seen that little device on the table at a chili's red robin olive garden it's called a ziosk z-i-o-s-k yeah. Yeah. you know you can order food swipe the card pay your oh, bill yeah. your yes. tip, and walk out you don't have to wait on the waiter or waitress uh <laughs> Well, they have a little button on the Zeos called the entertainment button. Have either one of y'all ever played that? Yeah, yeah, I have. I have not. They have, they have three of our games on the Zeos all over the country. Dots and Boxes, Space Ape, and uh, Quiz Pop. It's a trivia game. So those three games are on Zeos all over the country. And they're free to play. Uh, we don't get any money for that. They, they do, but... Uh, that's how good our crew's work is that it's being it's able to be in a in the app store on a Zeos. So I encourage you and your listeners to check those out next time you're in a restaurant. I think that's so that's so fun and cool and uh, rewarding for your your crew members. Okay, so one of my favorite things, well, it was one of my favorite things from talking with uh, Gary at Nonpareil was what Nonpareil means in French how it means non-paralleled or non-equal. And I just think, you know, how long ago they started this organization and they had the forethought to think about, you know, what a cool name. I love that. Yeah, yeah I love that. <laughs> a great, great organization. I'm so glad that we met Gary and just thinking about, you know, it started years ago when their kids were young with their son, you know, him and his business partner's son and started with eight kids in his business partner's home. And it's evolved now into, you know, 300 crew members around the country. So amazing. So many cool, so many cool things to learn from people like that, you know, and then my favorite, my second pet favorite thing, well, not my second favorite, but one of my other favorite things was I never knew about those Zeos games at restaurants and how you can play. And the, if you ever play those games, they were created by Nonpareil. How cool is that? I think that is so cool because I have definitely seen them, but yeah. didn't know that's where they came from. So I know. what a great thing. I know. And, and the other thing, you know, people are always growing and learning and they are no exception. And one of the things that I've found interesting is that, you know, since both of their sons were interested in technology, that was certainly their initial vision for Nonpareil was, you know, technology and technological kinds of jobs. And then as years went on, they realized, wow, they really need to help their crew members understand the soft skills, you know, hygiene and, yeah, uh, you know, all of the things. And then, you know, how to get a job, how to keep a job. And then there was a third area where they felt like they needed improvement and that is the question for this part mm -hmm, okay was the third area that nonpareil looked at in addition to technology and soft skills was it a academics b self-care c social engagement or d compliance this is a really good question and when i think about 
compliance. That's such an interesting word because, you know, you and I have been in this business a long time and compliance training was always uh, a piece of what people would talk about. And what I really think people mean when they talk about compliance training is uh, instructional control. You know, do I have instructional control for this child? Are they able to attend and follow my directives? That's really what people are looking for with that. And most of these young people have that ability to attend and and follow directives. So it's not going to be that. Sure. If they're able to go to a facility or go online uh, on a (laughs) basis and do work and, you know, create apps and create games for kiosks or, you know, Ziosk, I'm pretty sure they have compliance. And, you know, this is just a small soapbox and I've talked about it a hundred times and I'll talk about it again. But really, when you talk about compliance training, you're asking the kid to follow, like you said, a direction under yeah. your control. And that's all it is. And, you know, again, like I've said, if you look in any ABA textbook, the word compliance training is not in the glossary or the table of contents because it's not an ABA concept. But you know, and I know that it's something people talk about all the time and all something the time. that they would say he needs compliance training. Well, no, he needs to learn that what people are saying is important and he needs to be reinforced to attending to and following the directives. That's how we all learned everything we ever learned was that uh, someone had instructional control and we attended to what they were saying. So, yeah, I get a little, I mean, like if somebody said you need compliance training, I'd be saying peace. Out, <laughs> but with what? You don't need compliance training for running or walk or no. But yeah, that's what I'm saying is I'm saying that that word just grates on my nerves. Oh, that's not that important, I guess. But learning to follow directions, learning to attend to instruction, and understanding that the give and take of instruction is important. Yeah, and that's a connection. I mean, everything really does again come back to that whole idea of connection. And you already sort of mentioned self-care when you talked about them Mm -hmm, uh, learning to take care of themselves. So I would probably throw that one out. What was the very first one you made? Oh, academics. Well, you know, these young people have already graduated from, you know, either high school or college. So academics are probably not a focus for them unless it's just an area of interest. You know, like, yeah, I'd like to learn a little more about history or whatever. So, yeah, I'm going to throw that one out. But social engagement has to be the one. Yes. Um, Because that is a piece, you know, social engagement is so abstract. And it's uh, not something that really any of us were directly taught. I mean, we were taught it. We were taught it, obviously. But we were taught it from mom's look, dad's look, you know, some, you know, head shake or two, but not, um, and it was reinforcing for us, social engagement and, you know, being able to interact with others was reinforcing all on its own. And for some people with autism, it's work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest difference is that we have, we are intrinsically motivated to be social because it feels good. And we actually, there's a thought we get an endorphin release in the brain and then people with autism don't seem to get that same endorphin release. And so it's hard and it's unpredictable and it's and inconsistent and it, there's just so many things about it. So yeah, 
And and what I love about it is they took that on and they recognized that that was a need for direct instruction. You know, it wasn't just we need to have social groups and play games. It was a need for directly teaching social skills, just like you teach soft skills, just like you teach technology. So very cool. Very cool. Well, you guys, we hope you enjoyed part one of Gary at Nonpareil and we will have part two for you next week. So have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.